0: my mind, think of you. In my heart, love you. In my lips
1: Well, good morning, Door of Hope. I caught wind of some complaints among community groups that they didn't like seeing me preach from behind a desk. I'm so grateful that all of you have so many opinions about how to preach into a camera to make it feel like preaching. And I just wanna say that it'll probably never feel truly like preaching until your lovely faces are in front of me again. So. I am making an attempt to adjust, although I personally liked the desk because it covered the midriff. All right. With that said, uh, we are going to be jumping back into Romans today, and man, it almost feels like the Holy Spirit lined up this message for today. Uh, It comes from chapter 5. Remember, we began uh, looking at Romans chapter 5 just a couple weeks ago uh, in the powerful uh, beauty of what justification means and the outworking of justification. Remember what Paul says in in chapter five verse one, therefore having been justified, that is having been made right with God through Jesus, uh, we have peace now through whom also we have access by faith uh, into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now Paul, on this joyful note, takes a turn to give us insight into the reality of the Christian life. The view that once we give our lives to Jesus, everything's going to be easy. Anyone that's been a Christian for any length of time knows that to just be fundamentally false, especially in a time like this, in which we are living today. Uh, the coronavirus is once again on the rise it's actually back up to the levels that it was when the when it first broke out in the states at its peak Uh, we are still dealing with protests uh, and a call for change in regards to uh, how our policing works there is still outrage there is violence there is despair there is joblessness and the question is is what does Jesus have to say to a person whose back is up against the wall? Does the gospel speak to us when we are under pressure? And my answer is unequivocally, yes. Uh, Listen to what Paul says. He understood. We act as, as if People never had difficulties before. Uh, When we find ourselves in, in difficult times, it feels like we're the only ones going through it. But Paul says this, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This is the first time that the love of God and the Holy Spirit have been mentioned in the Book of Romans. And I think it's so powerful that it comes on the heels of what we can expect when we begin to follow Jesus. That there is a joy that comes from having peace with God, from having access to God, from having a hope that actually is immovable. Um, but we shouldn't be surprised uh, when we enter into difficult days because God is utilizing his church. Jesus is utilizing his bride to be a kingdom outpost, a reflection to a broken world of what is coming in full, to be witnesses to the saving reality of Christ in these dark days. Never has the message of grace been more needed in my lifetime, as in this particular moment. And what happens when we come under difficulty and tribulation, it becomes the great pressure cooker that reveals what we really are made of, what our faith is made of. Uh, And this is what he says. We are to glory in our tribulations. In other words, what he's saying is that we should expect distress In difficulty. This is the witness of scripture. Now I always say we don't glory in tribulation that we bring upon our own lives because of sin. We glory in the tribulation that is the natural outcome of following Jesus because to follow Jesus is to go against the stream, the current of our culture. It's to go against civilization uh, as we know it because the gospel is upside down. Uh, when we compare it to the systems of this world. It's one of the most important things to remember as we engage as citizens in this country in this particular moment when there are a million voices telling us exactly what will make the world better. The thing that we need to remember, one of the primary distinctions between what is happening right now and the civil rights movement is that the civil rights movement had a spiritual center. Most of its leaders were Christians, who were driving the ethics of Jesus as the means to real change in society. That is not at the center of this conversation. Doesn't mean that we should ignore the conversation, doesn't mean that we should throw it out. Even as we discussed, uh, as I discussed last week with Ashley and I talked about, we need to pay attention, we need to listen to what's happening, but we have to listen through the lens of the Gospel. We have to ask the question, does what is being presented to me in this moment, is the answers being given or the solutions that are being presented, uh, are they driven by a gospel center or are they coming from somewhere else? Because Jesus says, listen, this world has its own ruler. And that the scripture declares that the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. That many things that are done with the intention of bringing good to society without God often bring nothing but more despair and destruction. Do we really believe that people are by nature good, which is the humanistic thought behind much that is being presented today? If we can get rid of this problem in our country, there will no longer be this problem. But the fact is, is that sin is insidious. And the moment you deal with one sin, it reveals another. And I'm not trying to be pessimistic, because the Christian is to be realistic, pessimistic about the condition of the human heart, but optimistic about the gospel's ability to bring transformation to it. And so this is why Paul says, we glory in the tribulation that comes when we stand in the gap for Jesus. That message is not necessarily going to be received in a moment when so much is is functioning in a place of rage. But we cannot stop bringing the gospel of peace. We cannot stop loving our enemy. We cannot stop witnessing to the truth of who Jesus is. And this is why we shouldn't be surprised when people come against us. We are a people that are gonna come under pressure. The world is under pressure, but pressure upon us as followers of Jesus should reveal a different center than we see in those that are without the hope of Christ. We should expect distress and difficulty. This is one of the realities that comes uh, as, as one who came to faith later in life, the challenge of moving from conversion to cultivation, the cultivating of the Spirit. That's why Chesterton's, one of his most famous lines is, is, Christianity isn't tried and found wanting, it's, it's found difficult and not tried. And I think that this is very true, that it's daunting and overwhelming, intimidating for many of us. Where do we begin and how do we begin to move toward a life of of dependence upon Christ? One of the things that you are experiencing probably, if you've spent a lot of time isolated from other believers in this particular uh, last few months, is it should reveal something very important. And that is how desperately we need one another to stand. It is impossible to stand in the gap for Jesus without the support of brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. That the gospel message is most powerfully proclaimed when when the church is unified as one body, when we can be together and recognize that yes the world may be moving in a different direction but we have one another and that one another reality in scripture is something that is being uh, that, that many of us are feeling uh, is missing right now in our lives and this is why bonhoeffer in prison uh, when he wrote life together one of the things that he pointed out is listen life together as believers is a gift of grace and should not be taken for granted. Have you realized in this time that maybe that was something you took for granted when you had the freedom to gather whenever you wanted? But these are privileges uh, that that should be uh, that should be something that we cling to uh, because now that they are missing, we can feel that that loss and we see how hard it is to live the Christian life without the support of others. Thank God we have the Holy Spirit, which we will get to in great depth, because Romans gives us some of the most powerful passages about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But here is the thing, Philippians chapter one, verse 29, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, this is a gift that has been given to us, a privilege that we actually not only can believe in Christ, but we can also suffer for his sake. And I think one of the saddest things is that often our suffering is not over suffering for Jesus. It's a suffering that comes from pushing Jesus to the side of our existence, pushing him, pushing him into that compartment that you know once neatly fit on Sunday morning so that we could live our lives however we wanted during the rest of the week. Well, that won't do any longer, will it? In this time, I believe the pressure of existence is revealing how real our Jesus is or how how empty our faith is. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12-13 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Something that Ashley said last week in our conversation is that, uh, that black churches um, have a better understanding of a theology of suffering than we often do in the comfort of an American, uh, uh, an American white setting. Uh, I've seen this reality played out when I've gone to third world countries where it's just harder to live. But I've also seen in those places that it's also uh, untouchable in its ability to live with joy. Because when there is no possibility of improving one's living situation and you discover Christ, this is the thing is that Christ is more real to those who need him the most. And I think that right now we're beginning to see that the things that we have put our hope in um, are, not, are not sustaining us. Uh, the, the gods that we so readily worship at the altar of are, are letting us down. And this is why Jesus calls us back again and again. and this is why I believe these days um, should not be viewed as, you know I've been seeing all sorts of memes about about you know F 2020 uh, as it being the worst year ever. What if it actually is one of the greatest years for the church because it's a purging of the things that actually rob us of what really brings joy, which is Jesus himself. This is why James chapter one, verses two through four says, "'My brethren, count it all joy "'when you fall into various trials, "'knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, "'but let patience have its perfect work, "'that you may be perfect complete, lacking nothing. Jesus' own words to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount is, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I think that this is important for us to remember. I was talking with a group of pastors last week, and there was a couple pastors that had just been battered uh, in response to all the conversation around race right now. And it came out of the most simple thing, is that, that the, the two pastors had basically pleaded with their people to show decorum to police officers in this time that we that they that they are with the people and for the people and understand that there's a desire for change but that doesn't mean that we should live with vitriol toward a particular people or cast hateful words toward a particular people and you know what those pastors experienced they became their their call to their churches to to treat all people with dignity and respect was returned with with death threats, with such anger uh, that that they had to take down their Facebook pages. And they were like, "Man, I don't even want to be a pastor." And I, I said, "Being a pastor can be hard in this season, but uh, and I think the reason that it's so difficult uh, is because there is an expectation." Uh, um, for many of you, that I'm gonna somehow have the secret answer. That I, I hold the the ingredients for the secret sauce on how to bring how to bring racial reconciliation to our nation. Listen, I can do my part, which is listen, and love, and engage. But I am not a politician. I cannot speak to the complexities of of what's going on. Not, I didn't have a political science degree. I, I, I don't know the ins and outs of, of much of what is being discussed when it comes to a desire to see shifts in policy. And honestly, I've read so much information from, from experts in these categories that aren't even in agreement. So why would you think that I have the answer to that? The answer that I have is the answer that all of you should have that claim Jesus to be your savior is that the gospel is the only answer to the dilemmas of of our human institutions. They will always fail. Capitalism isn't perfect. Socialism isn't perfect. Uh, Monarchies isn't perfect. I don't care if you're Democratic leaning or Republican leaning. You do not have the silver bullet. And you cannot speak to the dilemmas of today with any kind of certainty and and to expect your spiritual leaders to somehow tell you what the policy should look like is actually asking more of us than we can give. What we can give is the one thing. I kind of find myself with Peter and John. Silver and gold I do not have, but this I have. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. I wanna call you to real liberation and real freedom and the real key to all racial reconciliation wherever there is racism, and that is the gospel and the cross because the cross puts all people on an even playing field. And so I just encourage you, man, ask yourself, how are you responding in this time? Are you persevering? Because look what Paul says. He says, he says listen, when we come under these tribulations, when we come under pressure, he's like, when we allow, as a justified people, the pressure of the age to actually create in us more Christ-likeness, because here's the thing, when you come into a difficult time, when you come into a time of pain and suffering, it can either produce in you bitterness, or as you yield to the Holy Spirit, it can actually produce in you something beautiful, which is the character of Christ himself. When we persevere, Every time we go through a great struggle, it shows us our fears, our weaknesses, and it also shows us how easily overwhelmed we are. But these things are good. We, we can't live blind. We can't put our heads in the sand. We can't do what the character in Charles Williams' novel, All Hallowed Eve, uh, did when it says that she died and found herself in a purgatory and, it, and when she was wanting to know why she was in purgatory, it says that she never tasted death in life, therefore she was not prepared for life after death. Listen, this life is meant to be that which prepares us for the next. And the fact is, is that there are many things that can become good deaths. Doesn't mean that they're not painful, but what I mean by that is that a good death, which is something that comes through the gospel, the cross, putting to death in us as the Holy Spirit reveals areas of weakness and sin, as we come under pressure, it reveals areas in our character that is not impressive. When we allow those things to actually take their course, when we are willing to sit in the discomfort of that pressure, it can produce in us something beautiful. I wanna just share with you guys something just very transparently as your pastor, how these last several months have brought to the surface an area in my life that that needed change. Uh, I've been reluctant to talk about it because uh, I, I wanted to get some time under my belt Um, And I think that even when I began to make a shift, I still maybe had a little bit of denial or playing down uh, the significance of the decision, But, but about a month into the quarantine, I began to recognize with so much time alone, so much time, so much stress that it was becoming easier and easier for me to turn to alcohol in the evening as a way of escaping all the pressures. And I'm not talking about drunkenness, I'm just talking about you use coffee to wake up in the morning, I'd use a couple drinks to unwind at night. But the fact is is that I wasn't depending upon the Holy Spirit. What I saw is that alcohol had become a means of escape it became a way of turning off the stress. And, and in doing so, it actually, it, it became something that was concerning uh, for my family. And it became concerning for me as a pastor that we are very clearly told in scripture, uh, it doesn't say that you can't drink, but it says do not be drunk, which is dissipation. And all of us have different thresholds, and all of us have different temperaments, and we have to pay attention to those temperaments. Many of you, you know, can have the occasional glass of wine, and you're, you have that kind of relaxed European style, and it just you, you're not you're not a more is more personality, and therefore you don't have a problematic relationship uh, with alcohol. But I. Emma more is more personality. If you haven't figured that out at this point, that for me, I get more intense. I wanna, I wanna take things as far as they can go. And when that's given to life-giving uh, realities, uh, it, it allows me to be a strong leader. It allows me to, to, to call people to, towards something. But when, it's, when it becomes focused on things that are self-destructive, it can be quite damaging. And I just came to the realization, and honestly, the Lord used my beautiful daughter, Hattie, uh, because she was seeing how stressed I was, and she just said, Daddy, what if maybe you just didn't drink for a couple days, and and maybe that's creating stress. And I was so overwhelmed and convicted that my daughter would say that to me, a 14-year-old, that I just put it down. The next day, literally, I stopped drinking. It's been eight weeks now, Uh, that I haven't had a drink and I feel amazing. And at first I was like, I have a complicated relationship with alcohol. I I won't say that I'll never drink again, but I was willing after about a month to say, no, I have a problematic relationship uh, with alcohol. That this is something that is becoming too easy to turn to when I'm stressed out. And therefore I have made the decision that, that I should not drink and therefore I am not going to drink. And I'm confessing it publicly um, because I think that some of you watching this, um, and it may not be alcohol, it, it, our vices are many, and the things that we turn to uh, to escape our problems instead of turning to Christ are, are, are varied. Uh, and I just encourage you, ask that question. What is the Lord? It's not about giving this thing up Uh, God's not interested in, in us just giving up things. He's interested in filling us with himself. And so it's not about me giving this or that part of myself to Jesus. It's God saying, I want all of you. And this thing is hindering you from having all that I want you to have. And I actually believe that the real call was, Josh, I want more of you and you have a different responsibility level as a lead pastor. And therefore, I'm calling you to, to a, a higher level of accountability. And, and there, our freedom is not the freedom to do what we want, but it's the freedom to do what is right as the Spirit leads us. And Paul says, let each man be convinced in his own mind. And so I just wanna share that with you and that perseverance to stay under the pressure and to let God reveal the difficult things. And then the question is, is what does it produce in us? I could have said, you know what, no way. I'm like, I collapse under the pressure and, and move toward the thing that actually was moving toward a real danger spot in my life. Instead, I said yes to Jesus on this and I found freedom and joy and my family said it's been a radical difference in how I act at home. I'm less tired in the evening, uh, which is actually a new kind of problematic because I, I never have lacked in energy. Uh, but, but I feel better. I feel happier. And for me, it's about an obedience that was uniquely put upon my heart. I'm not a teetotaler. I don't think it's a sin to drink. Uh, I, but I am, I am a person who believes that sometimes God calls us uniquely to things to lay down something. And the question is, is are we asking? And what is the Lord asking you? Because when we allow that the pressure of a, of a difficulty to play out in our lives and don't run away from the pain of it, it produces character. And that's what Paul says. And this word carries, it with, carries with it the idea of being approved or tested. It's about creating reliability. That's what I want for myself is I want a consistency. I'm not looking for perfection. What I'm looking for is a purity of heart that, Lord, help me to keep my mind fixed upon you. I'm a mess. I'm broken. I'm fundamentally flawed. Everything I do is mixture. But the power of the transformation of the human soul into the likeness of Jesus, when our eyes are fixed upon Christ, it's when we give him our good and our bad, and we say, Lord, I give my whole self to you. That is what produces character. It's not about the eradication of this or that thing. It's about the daily surrender of the whole life that we might become living sacrifices. It's not about dying to this thing. It's It's about being a daily living sacrifice, which means the whole life is surrendered to Jesus, which brings life. This is the good death. This is what I mean by that term. People see we have gone through things and come out strong and confident in Christ. When they see that, when the world sees us deal with the trauma of today with a hope and a joy that cannot be moved. That is a powerful witness because what the world wants right now is something to believe in. Why do you think so many people are are so desiring to to be active in the conversation that's going on? Because it's right to desire equality for all people. The world wants something to hope in. They want to live for something that is good. The question is, is, are the answers that we are being given, the solutions that we are being confronted with, the means toward becoming the good that we all so desperately want. I believe that the gospel stands uniquely above all of those things. All the solutions that, that, are, that the world presents to, to bring about the results that we all want. Uh, the problem is, is that fallen minds teaching fallen minds will produce fallen effects. And what we need is to bring the certainty of this thing, which is a God who created this world, it's His world, who died for all people, all color, all classes, who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And that I am willing to stand before you and say, there is no other way to reconciliation apart from Jesus Christ. And therefore, this is where, we, where the rubber meets the road for Christians, is do we hold tenaciously to the truth of Jesus, that we are being shored up by our trials, we are being tested, and we are being approved, we are being refined. This is why it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 27, Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of the things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken remain. I believe that the the pressure cooker that the church is in right now is meant to shake away the things that are shakable until only that which is unshakable remains. And when we begin to see that we are being refined by the gospel of grace, that yes, life can be difficult and discipline is hard, but what does it say in Hebrews 12? No discipline seems pleasant for the time, but painful, but later on it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those that have been trained by it. Paul is trying to help us understand that perseverance leads to character, and that character leads to hope. Our hope, as we considered a couple weeks ago, is in the promise that Christ is with us, now and forever, and that he is coming back in the flesh, and that he will establish his kingdom now and forever, and that in this time, this age of grace, where sin is still a dominant factor, not only in the world, but in our own lives, we must function in that powerful grace, that that hope that does not disappoint, that it produces a confidence that God is good and the longer I walk with him, the more I see that I can trust him because I have had times where I have drifted because it doesn't take any effort to drift. Let's just state that. It is much harder to hold with tenacity and to persevere and to press in, to be in this for the long haul. I have seen a lot of people come into Door of Hope and I've seen a lot of people walk away from their faith disappointed because they thought that the Christian life was going to produce immediate, uh, instant, instant perfection. Listen, In this life, there will be trial and tribulation, but we are living for a life that is to come. And when we live for that, it actually brings joy to the life that we are living now. We enjoy heaven on the way to heaven. And this is why the key is seeing trials, not as the evidence of God's wrath, but the trials that we enter into, is the evidence of God's working in our lives to produce, the, the outcome that he desires because what he desires is that all people should come in repentance to a saving knowledge of his son Jesus. Doesn't mean that all will be saved but God's desire and that desire is fulfilled through us, the vehicles by which the gospel of grace is presented to the world. And this is why it says, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. In other words, the only thing that motivates us to persevere is to know that on your worst day, Jesus is crazy about you. The thing that caused me to lay down alcohol was that I know that my daughter came to me with a difficult word because of how much she loves me and looks up to me. I know that Jesus Never asks me to give up anything uh, unless he wants to actually give me something better. And the better thing is himself. And nothing compels change except love. Anger and bitterness will not produce the results that we want. What we want to be is a people that are motivated by Jesus and his Holy Spirit within us. God's love has been poured out in our hearts by the Spirit. It's a, the Spirit reveals that we are loved and the Spirit actually births within us the ability to love. The one-way love of God, His grace, actually brings a transformation by which we can now offer grace to a world that is gasping for it in these days. You guys, this is the gospel This is the power of what Jesus has accomplished for us. Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live, which qualified him for the death that he died. And that death that he died on the cross is what qualifies you and I to have the ability to live in the power of his resurrection life now. Have you put your trust in him? Are you letting the difficulties of the days actually shape you more into Jesus' likeness Are you persevering? Is your character being shaped? Are you dwelling in hope? Because God's love by His Spirit has been poured out in our hearts that we might be conduits of that love. May you experience grace today. May you walk with Jesus and know Him I just want to encourage you guys. I am praying about um, how we can begin to gather outside and I'll keep you up to date. We're going to be looking at church in the park pretty soon. We're excited about uh, gathering to, for prayer. Uh, the safest place for us to gather in the time when coronavirus is going up is outside. So. Luckily, Door of Hope did 10 years of Church in the Park and talking with my other friends who are pastors. uh, That isn't something that most of them have experimented with, and so I just encourage them. It doesn't take any amplification. It just takes a loud voice and people bringing blankets and a picnic. So, Door of Hope, may we be conduits of grace in this city. May we be a reflection of, of a joy that can't be shaken by the tribulations that we are experiencing today because our... Trials are shaping us moment by moment until we see him face to face more and more into his likeness. I love you guys so much. You guys have a wonderful day.
0: Thank mm-hmm.